Yes, I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we imparted secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For no, who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of, of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Well, good morning, everybody. I have to be like, careful as you take this off because of this mic thing. I mean, one handy thing is I can actually move around. So this is nice. Like, I can be like, though I, I know because I, I've been sitting back there that, like, I think I can go back to here and people can still see me. And I think I can go back to here and people can still see me. But I, I promise I'm not going to, like, run around and make you guys have to, like, follow me around the room or anything. Though I am tempted. I will say I am tempted. But thank you so much, Michael, for reading that. Um, it's so good to once again come and read God's word with you guys. And I hope that you keep 1 Corinthians open on your Bibles. We're going to keep jumping back to that. Um, but before that, I have a pretty simple question, and that is, who here enjoys a good mystery? Okay, see, we got, see, I, I see a majority, it looks like. And I, and I know that uh, in my little poll that I put out for the people who are watching online, it seems a majority of the people also that are watching like a, a good mystery. And I, I agree. I like a good mystery, too. I like uh, if something, if I'm watching something or reading something or even playing a game, if it has a mystery element to it, I, I really enjoy that. So, of course, when I had a friend ask me if I would be willing to come and join them doing in Sherlock Holmes escape room, I was like, yes. Now, I don't know if any of you have done an escape room before or even know what an escape room is. So real quick, an escape room is when you and a group of people are put into a room and you have to solve a bunch of puzzles. And when you solve all the puzzles, you escape you get out of the room. And so we get into this room, and it's really cool because it's all themed like it's like Sherlock's office, like just the stuff on the walls, and there's a desk, and you go look at the desk, and there's this note from Sherlock himself, which, you know, is so special to have that. Um, and it says that Sherlock has hidden himself somewhere in London, and to get out of the room, we have to figure out where his location is. So that's the goal. So we start looking around the room. We're looking through the bookshelves and the pictures, and we start sol solving puzzles and unlocking locks. And we finally get to the final puzzle. It's this big map of London that's mounted on the wall. And we also have this thing that it looks like a piece from a board game. It's kind of like a marker thing. And we know that we're supposed to take that and place it on the map at the location where we think Sherlock's hiding. And so because we've solved all the clues, we're pretty sure where he is, so we take it, we put it on the wall, and nothing happens. 
So we do it again, and, and nothing happens again. But here's the thing. There was something happening. Because every time we were putting that marker on the wall over here, the door, which was like the door we were going to escape through, a green light would light up above it. But we're all looking at this map. None of us are looking at the door. So we're, we're keep doing this, and there's this very obvious green light that's saying, hey, you won, but when you pull it off, the green light goes away. So we're like, I don't know. We don't know what's going on. So we go back. We start looking through the clues again. And the other thing you need to know about an escape room is that it's timed. You have an hour to beat the room, to win. And so we know our hour's almost up. We're desperately trying to figure out what's going on. And luckily, probably because uh, somebody used, used a hand mic, I'm distorting. Oh, OK. Hello? Oh, this is going to be double mic'd. Uh, let me make sure this is muted. Hello? 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 I don't know. I have. Apparently, I must be distorting on the recording or for the people that are watching. So sorry, people watching. Um, anyways, uh, the person who, the, when you're doing an escape room, there's always somebody, an employee, that's watching you. Um, like, because they obviously don't want you just to go in there and destroy the escape room. Um, and the person must have felt bad for us because as we're desperately trying to figure out, uh, we get this hint over a speaker. We hear, look at the door. And we're like, so we, we put the thing on. One of us looks at the door and we're like, oh, oh. And then we leave and we win and we beat it just in time. Like, we were almost out of time. If it wasn't for the fact that we got this hint, if it wasn't for the fact that somebody outside the room that knew the whole thing gave us that final clue, I don't think we would have won. And that idea, that idea is humans, we can figure out a lot of things that we can, um, that, that we can put a lot of the piece of puzzle, pieces of the puzzle together, but we're always missing that last piece, really is reflected in what we read today and what Michael just read. Because today, Paul's going to talk about a mystery. It's a mystery that if you took it and you gave it to the world's best problem solvers, scientists, detectives, whoever, and they were trying to solve it on their own, they couldn't do it. But here's the catch. We as Christians can. Now, is that because somehow we're smarter or better than all those other people? Well, no. If you remember two weeks ago, we talked about how we're all kind of awful. <laughs> Uh, but we can do it because we have the ultimate guide. We have the ultimate person standing on the outside of the room telling us to look at the door because we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have the Spirit of God. Now, before we jump into our passage today, real quick, I just want to do a quick recap of what we've been studying so far in 1 Corinthians because this is a letter to the Church of Corinth, and when Paul writes a letter, he, um, he often builds an argument. He's often building off of the things he wrote. So like A leads to B leads to C. So before we can get into what we're reading today, we just need to remember where we came from. So Paul started, uh, and Joel started this uh, sermon series by talking about a unity in Christ, that there was a problem with the church at Corinth. They were divided. They were breaking up into little groups, and they weren't being unified by Christ. They were being unified by whatever preacher they liked the best. And then we talked about how not only do we have a unity in Christ, 
we have a unity through the power of God because none of us did anything to save ourselves. We didn't do anything special. It was through God's power. Nobody can boast unless you're boasting in the Lord. And then last week, Joel continued that idea of power of God, that it wasn't, it's not through some amazing speech or tremendous acts that we do that other people become saved, but it's through Christ crucified. It's through God's power alone. And so with all that said, we can see this common theme that Paul has been emphasizing this like simple Christianity as Joel has been putting it. These basics of Christianity. That Jesus' sacrifice, of Jesus' sacrifice, and not to get caught up in worldly wisdom. Now with all that in mind, I feel like we've built a nice little foundation. Let's look at our passage. Jump back to 1 Corinthians 2 with me and read verse 6. It says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. The word yet there is an important word because it's kind of like the word but. It's a conjunction, right? If you want to know what the yet is for, you have to look at what came before it. So just quickly look up a little, a couple verses. And verses 4 and 5 we see, And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul said that when he was in Corinth, he didn't share with them these words of wisdom because he wanted them to put their trust not on their own knowledge, but in God. They didn't want it to be like puffed up and be like, oh, I'm so smart. They wanted them to focus on the fact that we are nothing without God. But we see here that he says that there is some kind of wisdom or knowledge that he shares with people who he says are mature. Now, real quick, I do want to touch on this mature bit, um, because the Bible has a lot to say about what it means to be a fully mature Christian. And the word there, mature, can be translated a couple different ways. So you could translate it as perfect, or you could translate it as fully grown. And I personally like that last option, fully grown, because I feel like that really reflects what the Bible says about our Christian life, about our Christian journey that it is a process that we grow in our faith. It's like, it often uses this analogy like, first we're a baby, right? And as a baby, you're limited to what you can do. You're limited to what you can eat. I mean, that's why, you know, if you're buying baby food, it's all mushy, right? Because they can't, they don't have teeth yet. They can't eat meat. They can't eat solid food. I mean, just looking through a few verses from the New Testament, you see this all over. Hebrews 5.12 says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So just, it's not bad to only need spiritual milk, that if you are a new Christian, that you should long to learn the basics of Christianity. I mean, and even, but you're not supposed to stay there because Look, even at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 2, it says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. All this is to say that if someone is new to Christianity, if you are a new Christian and you're watching this, spend time focusing on the basics of Christianity. In fact, if you break it down, 
just real quick, let's look at the basics of Christianity. If you break down what it means to be a Christian, you only have to believe a few things. I mean, first, you have to believe that there's a God. I mean, if you don't believe that there's a God, that's going to be a huge problem with being a Christian. And specifically, you need to believe that that God is the God of the Bible, that it's Yahweh, not some other God. You have to believe that the human race uh, broke their relationship with God, that they're sinful, and thus they are separated from God. There is a, there's a problem there. You have to believe that Jesus was an actual person that lived, that he was fully God and fully man. If you don't believe Jesus existed, that's also going to be a huge problem if you want to be a Christian. That Jesus lived a perfect life, and that because he lived a perfect life, and because he was fully God and fully man, that he was crucified, and by being crucified and dying, he became a perfect sacrifice that could help cover our sins and help build the relationship back so that we can now have a relationship with God again. After he was killed, he came back to life, because that's also very important, because if he didn't come back to life, then he didn't actually conquer sin and death. And um, that he ascended to heaven, where he intermediates on our behalf before God the Father. That Jesus is up there, and he's the one that builds that bridge for us. And lastly, you do have to believe that the Bible is true, and has authority, at least you have to believe the parts of the Bible that tell you this are true, because if you don't believe that this, that the Bible is true, or these parts of the Bible are true, then why would you believe anything else? Now notice, that's it. That's a very simple list of things you need to believe. And there's a lot of things that people get really caught up on that's not in that list. I mean, there's really, I think, petty things that people get caught up on, like whether you can have a guitar during worship, um, and to big theological issues like whether we're all predestined or free will to is Genesis 1 literal six days or all of that, right? Those are all great things to think about, great things to have an opinion on, great things to study your Bible and come up with your own, like this is what I believe, but none of that is important, or none of that is a requirement to being saved, to being a Christian. But as you mature, as you become more and more mature in your faith, as you continue to grow as a Christian, that, those are the things that you're going to start coming up against. You're going to start needing to think about those things. You're going to need to move away from the basics. And as you do that, you're going to realize that there is way more to Christianity than you realize. Like, Every time you learn a little bit more, you realize just how much further you have to go. You could say that there is a mystery to it. Which is actually always a challenge to anyone who's teaching, because whenever I get up here, I have to think about the fact that there are people that, are, that need milk, and there's people that need meat, and I need to make sure that I am not just focusing on one or the other, but serving both. I try to do that through these teachings. I try to give a little bit of both so that those who just need milk are getting that foundation, but hopefully I'm also helping you get up so that you can start enjoying some meatier pieces. And because the wisdom that Paul is talking about, this wisdom that he shares with the mature is a great thing to understand. But also notice that as you become more mature, as you come to know this knowledge, there's also this sense that this wisdom, this knowledge, is going to be more and more foreign, more and more hidden to the world because this is not earthly wisdom. 
This is not of this age, but it's eternal. Earthly wisdom has a time limit. The rulers of earth have time limits. There's no one who lives forever. No president, prime minister, whatever is going to be in that position forever. Eventually, they're going to lose power by either having to step down or dying, right? But God's wisdom, God as our king, has no end to his reign. And if you would indulge me a little bit as I give maybe a little bit of a meteor piece right now, the rulers of the world that Paul talks about, there's actually a discussion about whether or not those are human rulers or spiritual forces. And I'm of the opinion that it's a little bit of both. We see that throughout the whole Bible that whenever there's a human conflict, there seems to be a spiritual battle happening behind the scenes. And I don't want to get too much into that because I really love that subject. So if you have questions about that, come approach me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about it. But I don't want to spend so much time on that that like I, met, I get away from what we're reading today. But I want you to have that picture in your head that there's a little bit of both going on. That's not just human and it's not just spiritual. It's a little bit of both because that helps us understand the next two verses in our passage. Verses 7 and 8, which say this. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, when we read this, there's probably a big question that pops into your head. What is the secret and hidden wisdom of God? And funny enough, Paul doesn't actually tell us here in Corinth, in the letter to the Corinthians. Because remember, a in chapter 3, he's going to tell them, you're not mature yet enough for this wisdom. But luckily for us, we can put on our little detective caps. We have the whole Bible, and we have the Holy Spirit, so we can look and try to figure out what is this mystery, what is this hidden wisdom that Paul was talking about. And we have a few clues. We have the clue that it's for our glory, so it's something that benefits us, and it's something that if the rulers of the world or the rulers of this age knew about, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. And because of those things and because of other passages that I will talk about shortly, I believe Paul's talking about how Christ's, how Christ's sacrifice, his death, brought about salvation for the whole world. And you might be thinking, well, Shelby, didn't you just say that Paul's been talking about how Christ, has been, Christ died earlier on, that that's a basic of belief? Well, yes, that is a basic of belief, but there is a whole big world out there if you want to think of how that actually works. Like, I guess the best analogy I can think of is there is a difference between knowing that when you flick on a, when you flick a switch, a light bulb turns on, and knowing everything that happens to cause that flick of the switch to cause the light to turn on. But real quick, to not get into all of those weeds, I just, I think the big part, though, is the fact that Christ's death brought about salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the non-Jews. And I think that this is the mystery because, like I said, we get the whole Bible, we get all of Paul's letters to look through. So if you have your Bibles open, I hope you do, uh, keep a thumb or whatever, or I guess if it's digital, it's much easier. You can just flip back. But flip to Ephesians 3 with me real quick. If you have a physical Bible, it's a short right-hand turn in your Bible. Um, but Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6, it says this. 
For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it is now has, been, has, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, the fact that Jesus brought salvation to everybody was mind-blowing to everybody back then. Like, right now, we look back, we kind of take it for granted. Oh yeah, Jesus, of course, he brought salvation to the whole world. You know, for God sent his son, because God loved the world, he sent his own son, that whoever, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Like, okay, that, that's a basic thing. But we take that for granted. But back then, that was a whole new idea. Because if we look at like Acts and the story of Peter going to Cornelius, a non-Jew, and seeing that Cornelius' whole family become saved and they, be, they become full of the Holy Spirit, it says that Peter and the Jews that were with him were completely confounded. They had no idea what was going on because to them, it was never a consideration that, hey, maybe non-Jews could be saved. And in the same way that the Jews were being confused about this, if we look back in history, we can see that the Romans, like the government and the people in Rome, were also very confused why non-Jews were suddenly joining this little Jewish religion that was springing out of the Middle East. Like, they didn't know what to do with it. The fact that Jesus' death would allow anyone into the kingdom of God was something that even those who opposed him didn't understand. That's what we see in verse 8. Because... It's, and again, verse 8 brings up, again, these rulers of the world. And again, I believe this is a little bit talking about both spiritual and physical forces. Because we see that they were trying to stop God's plan. Like it's saying that if they knew God's plan, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Like they didn't want God's plan to succeed. And so I know that the, the rulers, at least the physical rulers, the human rulers didn't understand. Because flip to John 11 verses 45, and as you get there, this is a perfect example of why we know for sure that the human rulers did not understand what God's plan was, but was instead trying to stop it from happening. Because in John eleven forty-five, it says this, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Which, by the way, Jesus had just resurrected Lazarus. That's what they're talking about. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day, 
From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. It's kind of ironic that we're reading this, that Caiaphas, the high priest, predicts that Jesus' death is going to bring about salvation, but he's so caught up. The Pharisees are so caught up in their political power and their human power and the power they have on earth that they are missing spiritual salvation, thinking they're going to get earthly salvation. That somehow by killing Jesus, they're going to somehow bring about, like, protect themselves from Rome, which is kind of also ironic because, like, 30 years later, all Jerusalem gets basically wiped out. Like, their thought process of, oh, if we kill this one man, Rome's not going to bother us, totally backfires on them. And we also know that it's not just the earthly rulers that didn't understand, but the spiritual forces, because just a little bit later in John, John 13, verses 26 to 27, we read, So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. We see that Satan himself was trying to orchestrate Jesus' betrayal and eventual death. He was trying to stop God. Like, throughout the whole New Testament, throughout all the Gospels, whenever a demon approaches Jesus, they immediately declare out that he's the Son of God. They immediately know exactly who he is. And so it's not like they were, like, confused, but they thought for some reason they could stop God if they killed Jesus. And yet, in the biggest twist of them all, Satan basically set up his own demise. Satan set up his own defeat by setting up Jesus' betrayal. And thus we get to verse 9 back. If you go back to 1 Corinthians with me, 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. The mystery that we can stand firm in is knowing that God brought us salvation through sending his son to die for us and to come back to life so that we can experience something that goes beyond anything any human can imagine. Now, I can stand up here and be confident in sharing all this. I can stand up here and be confident in sharing that this is what the mystery is, that this is what Paul is talking about, not because I'm super smart. I can stand up here and be confident, not because I've spent hours reading and researching, though that helps, that does help come to a conclusion, but that's not ultimately why I can be confident. I can be confident because I have the Holy Spirit in me. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. It is through the spirit of God that Paul learned these things. It wasn't because Paul figured it out himself. And real quick, if there was anybody in the Bible who we could probably pick to say, oh, this guy was so smart he figured it out himself, it might have been Paul because he had an amazing CV, right? He was trained by the, like, the best scholar of the time. He calls himself a Pharisee among Pharisees. He spent his life dedicated to studying the scriptures. Yet what does he say? He says, it's not because of all that that I'm able to share this with you. It's because of the Holy Spirit who revealed it to me. And here's the amazing thing. That same spirit that was in Paul is also in us. If you are a Christian... You have that same spirit 
that Paul used to learn all of this stuff in you today. We have access to that spirit who shares the secrets of God with us. Now, is there an element that study and doing all that is helpful? Yes. Because, remember, the Christian life is a Christian life about growth. You, you start out as a baby and you grow up into adult, but unlike us humans who don't really have to do anything, we don't have to think about growing, we just do it. When it comes to the Christian life, yes, the Spirit helps us, but it also, it's up to us too to be able to read our Bibles and seek out that. But here's the crazy thing about that Christianity that we believe in, is that even if you are a baby Christian or an adult Christian or somewhere in between, you all have the same Spirit you all have access to the same Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So even if you don't have a master's in biblical studies, you can still read the Bible and you can still find profound truths because the Holy Spirit will empower you to do so. That is why you should never be at a, in a position where you dismiss somebody else because you think, oh, they're, they're not at the same level as me, so I know more than they do because they have that same spirit and they might sharing something with you that you didn't catch, that the Spirit hasn't revealed to you yet. And I love that analogy that Paul uses at the end, that the fact that you can't know somebody else, like who knows a person except the Spirit of that person, because like, I totally relate to that. Um, Rachel and I have been married for almost eight years. <laughs> Actually, no, not almost nine years, I should say. We have been married for eight years. I'm good, at, I'm good at counting. That's not going to get me in trouble later. Um, anyways, but over that time, like, I've gotten to know Rachel better as we've lived together for eight years. But even if we live for forever together, I'm never going to be able to be able to 100% know everything that Rachel thinks because we're different people. I can become really good at guessing. I can become really good at figuring it out or making educated guesses. I think Rachel's thinking this way or feeling this way, but ultimately, Rachel's going to be the one that knows Rachel, and I'm going to be the one that knows me. But here's the cool thing about Christianity is that God's Spirit, the thing that really knows Him, is in us. We have a direct connection with Him. We have a direct connection with the person that is in control. It also means that we can now discern. We can be able to tell what is wisdom from God versus wisdom from man. And we can look at God's wisdom and we can understand it while the rest of the world looks at it and is just confounded by it. Or, to put it another way, we have the person that's standing outside the room telling us, hey, look at the door. So what? There are great and wonderful things we get to know and understand as Christians, but a big part of coming to know those things is growing and maturing as a Christian. Now, there is nothing wrong with just needing spiritual milk, as the Bible puts it, that just needing the basics, because just like you wouldn't expect a baby to suddenly become an adult overnight, because that would probably freak you out <laughs> if, you, if your baby suddenly was you know, 30 years old the next day, uh, you might think you're in the movie Big. But anyways, that, that is not what you're expecting. You're expecting that it takes time. It takes time to grow. It takes time to learn. It, take it takes time to experience all these things. But here's the thing. 
while it is great to build that strong foundation, and you should build a strong foundation, you shouldn't just stay on that foundation. You should build on top of it. You should grow. You should constantly look to learn, to expand your knowledge of God, and know that you're not doing it alone. You don't have to figure out the secrets of God by yourself because you have the Holy Spirit to help you. Are you trying to learn God's wisdom by your own power? Do you understand what it means that Christ died for you? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for just giving us time to read your word together, to just hear what you have for us. And thank you that you have sent your spirit, that you sent yourself, God, to be our guide, to be our counselor, to to dwell within us, to allow us to communicate with you in a way that is wholly unique. That we don't have to somehow read the Bible and try to decipher it by our own power. That we don't have to go and get degrees upon degrees to try to understand some of these things because we have your spirit in us. God, I pray that also that we won't just rely on just knowing the basics and just that it. God, I, I pray that you will challenge us every day to want to grow in our relationship with you, to want to know you more. And God, thank you so much that you put us on a journey that we don't have to do on our own power, but we have your power in us that can help us grow. I pray that we will rely on that today and through the rest of the week, and through the rest of our lives. In your name, amen.